Welcome to the podcast. My name's Ian. My name's Tony, and this is Tennis Today. There are moments when he switched off, when he switched off there, but then he produces a shot like that. All right, Tony, uh, good morning, first of all. Good morning. <laughs> uh, you've been putting in the long hours. Uh, you basically, at this point, completely dedicated yourself to Melbourne time zone, it seems like. Yeah, I uh, well, we were just chatting off air. I, I went to sleep at 5 a.m. <laughs> and uh, woke up maybe about 40 minutes ago. I saw your message, and I was like, you know what? Let's let's record an episode. Let's get it in. <laughs> yeah, well, it's weekend here for us, um, about 11.30 in the morning. Matches aren't happening for another uh, about four and a half hours or five hours or so. So, um, you know, we wanted to recap some of the results from round three, talk about round four. Um, I feel like we kind of flip-flopped last round. I was I was up. I was watching a lot of the matches. I was staying up till, you know, one, two in the morning and um, catching the early matches too. And you, you were on court a lot for a lot of those. And now we kind of flip-flopped. Yep. I feel like the roles were, were reversed and you've put in the, the long hours to be watching some of these <laughs> last matches. Teamwork, man. <laughs> That's what's great about uh, this duo. You know, we're kind of uh, lifting each other up. So I'm, I'm happy to do it. Yeah, and I saw you. I know you were on the court uh, the last couple of days. It's raining this weekend here, so you get a little break from the court. Um, yeah. I saw your, your fuel for the night was in and out. I saw you made a stop at in and out. Oh man, yes. So um, and actually, this didn't even know this going on. That was my third time this week, dude. I don't know. In and out. At In and Out, I went. Uh, wow. So I saw. Yeah, I know. Kind of bad, but you know what? Whatever. It, I love Kinda it. Good. Kind of good, right? Like <laughs> it's. Um, so I saw a reel, like last week about. So I've been, you know, personal, you know, story. Grew up in Southern California. Have had In and Out basically all my life. I know if you're not from the area, it's a thing. You come to California, you got to try it. Um, arguably, you know, what's the best burger in America? Blah blah blah. Anyway, so uh, typical order. Double double, you know. Sometimes animal style fries. Sometimes fries well done. Um, big on the secret menu. But I saw something the other day that never heard of before: mustard fried. Which mm, uh, yes, yeah, I, I never heard of it before. Apparently, they cook it with mustard. They add pickles. Um, you can request chopped chilies. And this was like a reel from a former In and Out employee. So I was like, all right, I'm gonna. Why not? I'm gonna try it. I think I was there Tuesday afternoon. Was there. <clears throat> Wednesday nights was there again last night. Uh, so yeah, big on that. Uh, big in and out week, and it's just it's open late. It's easy. I'm a nocturnal yeah. animal this week, so um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, best best bang for your buck. It, it took me a while to get into In and Out when I moved to California. I was like, I, I don't get it. It's a it's another fast food burger, um, yeah. and I think like. One of the times I went to the beach, I was just like starving. I was like, I need something. And there's an In-N-Out by me over here in Ventura. And uh, it just like, it just hit that day. I was like, I get this. This is incredible. And now I'm I'm like you. I'm one of those. I, I've I found my order. I think everybody, it's like, I feel like that's a, an yep. initiation in California. It's like, what's your In-N-Out <laughs> order? Yeah. Um, mine is the double double uh, grilled onions chopped, uh, extra salt. And, Whoa. uh, yeah, that's nice. Yeah. 
So highly recommended to our listeners out there. If you ever get to in and out, try try you a do, couple uh, lemonade, Seven Up. What are you doing? Oh, I don't even care. Just like give me the burger. <laughs> oh wow. Okay. Nice. Nice. Because that's a new thing. They added they added cherry coke and diet oh, okay. lemonade, and it's like yeah. okay. I was yeah. so excited to try it, and I was like, okay, this is just regular cherry coke. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, love in and out. We're not going to dedicate the whole podcast to it, um, but no. But shout out to uh, Tournament Fuel. Cheap. That's right. That's right. It's getting us through. Good. Yeah, getting us through some of these longer nights here. Um, I played doubles yesterday. Um, I got a kind of a fun story. I, uh, it's a little cold for me. I reluctantly played later in the evening last night at like five o'clock. I was joking around with our group. I said, I'm going to be the one out there in the winter coat. You know, if you want to find me, um, a little, a little too cold for me. I not even kidding. I actually filled my water bottle up with hot water. Um, Whoa. yeah. So, and I'm supposed to be from Buffalo, New York, which is the, you know, everybody, that's the first thing people criticize me for is, Oh, I thought you were from Buffalo. I thought you liked the cold. It's like, no, it's, it's actually why I live here now. I, I hate the cold. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but we played doubles, a uh, really fun group. And the first set we went to a tie break. Um, and I would, had just told them about, you know, how much Australian open you and I have been watching. And I talked about the Rabakana match going to 22, 20, we had one go 15-13 last night. I was Wow. Yeah, and I'm not we're not playing for anything other than just for the fun of it. And I was just nobody wanted to serve. We were all just like sick to our stomach because nobody wanted to be the one to make the mistake. So wow. um so yeah, we had our own little epic tie break last night that went fifteen thirteen. Who who won? Uh well I did, of course. Nice, <laughs> nice. Me and my doubles partner, yeah. Yeah. Do you it play was... a deuce or ad side? Um, I will, I, I'll kind of leave it up to my doubles partner. I last night played on the deuce side. Um, nice. she was also right-handed, so that kind of worked and she's, uh, really, 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 really strong backhand. So it, it kind of worked for our dynamic, but, um, yeah, it was, it was intense. <laughs> nice. <laughs> nice. Yeah. At one point our, uh, our lights shut off in the middle of one of our points, we started the oh. second set and the lights shut off on us. And, um, while we were waiting for the lights to warm back up again, we were, you know, we wanted to stay warm. And I was like, all right, well, you know, let's, 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 let's stay warm here. So we're not going to freeze our asses off. And we got out of our phones and we turned our phone flashlights on and we mm-hmm. hit in the dark with our phone flashlights. Oh, wow. Um, Kind nice. of really fun too. <laughs> yeah, nice. <laughs> wow. And uh, you you spent some time on the courts. I know we wrapped up the last episode. You were uh, going to be testing out the Australian Open ball, right? Yeah. So uh, on Thursdays, it, it's not a lesson. It's just a buddy of mine that I I hit with. He's a, a member at the club, an accountant that is somehow at the club almost as much as I am. I see him all the time, just out hitting with whoever, and we have a regular hit set up where we. We hit for two hours, and sometimes it's literally just two hours of cross-court drills. Two cross-court, one down the line. We don't even play sets. We're just hitting. So perfect uh, situation and perfect player to try out, you know, different tennis balls. So um, tried what was what's being sold to us. I don't know if that's exactly the tournament ball that the players mm-hmm. are using, but use the Dunlop AO ball and uh, positive review. I actually really, really enjoyed that ball. Um it played, to, so to me, the standard, maybe I said this last episode, the standard for me is just the U.S. Open ball. It's kind of what I like, what I've played with throughout, you know, juniors and as an adult. Um, my typical hitting ball is a uh, Pro Pen, 
because our club has a partnership partnership with Penn, and it's just what's available basically. I get them for free, so free is free. Can't complain. But uh, if I have a choice, I think I would buy this ball again. Um, no. And a bit of the experiment is, you know, how how is it going to play when, for example, post AO, then they switch to a completely different ball, and what's the adjustment? I think that'll be more of the uh, you know the interesting part of this sort of experiment that I'm doing. But uh, positive review, like the balls didn't fluff up too much. Um, they held up well for, obviously, the players are switching balls every, you know, seven to nine games. But as a as sort of a casual, I mean, I would put myself as more of like a four or five player these days. Same with my partner. For a good hitting session, two hours, held up perfectly. If we wanted to use them again, just to warm up before another set, quality ball. I uh, I really enjoyed it. Nice, nice. No negative effects on the wrist yet? Uh, no. Um, so, and just, I, uh, I had wrist surgery last February, so that could be an issue. I I had to toy around a little bit with my racket and string setup as I came back. Mm -hmm. I was playing with, uh, the blade. I think it's version nine now, the new blade, new color, uh, had it strung with Headhawk power and no issues. Once in a while, I'll, I'll hit a ball I'll be late on it and I'll feel a little bit of like, oh, I don't like the way that feels. Not like anything too crazy, but um, not at all. Didn't happen once yeah, uh, at all this week. And actually, since I started using the blade, so I would say that's a, that's a positive review. Also, in case you're curious, if you like the old blades, I think you'll like this racket too. I, I don't notice too much of a difference between, you know, the previous version to this one. Um, I saw a thing where it's a little bit stiffer. It's a little bit more stable, but... I don't know, maybe I'm not playing at a high enough level to, to realize, but it's good. Solid nice. racket, serves, volleys are good. I played doubles yesterday, too. Um, no tie breaks. Uh, we didn't <laughs> end up going to a third set, but uh, we played it out. And, uh, yeah, overall, good racket, good ball. Um, would would buy that again. Nice. Yeah, good to know. Good to know. Hopping into Australian Open. Um, yeah. So we got two days of round three under our belt. Um, I feel like the story, uh, there's, you know, two complete different contrasting uh, results here on the men's side from the women's side. Um, I feel like the story on the men's side uh, coming away from that round is you got your top seven seeds. Uh, that's Djokovic, Alcaraz, Medvedev, Sinner, Rublev, Zverev, Tsitsipas, all one in straight sets. Um, so in terms of the, you know, the favorites per se, uh, top half of the bracket, um, all seated players, bottom half, a little bit, a, a few surprise runs in there, but ultimately, you know, the, the top seven seeds and the people you expected to be there are pretty much taking care of business. Yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, cause I felt like early rounds, we saw some of the seeds drop sets and it was kind of like, all right, what's, what's going to happen here? But they, um, yeah, they cleaned it up, and uh, I mean, I'm sure they're happy to get through with well-rested. No matches went super late the past couple of rounds. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know where you uh, where you want to start. Where do you want to dig into? Yeah, well, I mean, uh, at least on the men's side, it does feel a little bit like things have stabilized. Um, you know, that round two is just so crazy, and, and those epic long matches, all those five setters, it's, you, you kind of, 
well, that's all fun, right? It was it was great to talk about. There was a lot of stuff um, to to kind of go over and moments to talk about. But um, this is kind of more what you expect from the top seeds. You you want them to get through some of these earlier rounds with, with relative ease. You want to see the best play the best later on. I, I do love a, an underdog story and when some of the the other players make a run. But this is kind of more what you expect in terms of the results. And on the women's side, um, kind of the opposite thing's happening. So, um, yeah, you want to talk a little bit about the women's side and the story for that? Man. Yeah, the draw has opened up. I guess probably biggest news, uh, Iga loses. She mm-hmm. uh, kind of had, she maybe should have lost in the previous round to Danielle Collins, but pulled it out. Crazy match, great results. Um, a match that, to be honest, I didn't watch. I kind of fig- assumed Iga was going to take care of business. I was uh, watching uh, Medvedev and Felix, and then I pop over, and all of a sudden, Iga's down a break in the third set. First of all, I was like, oh, she's in a third set. What's What, what happened? And then she's down a break and um, is out. So that, that half of the draw is seemingly wide open, and when you look at some of the names that are left, there's there's some qualifiers, and I think there's like eight unseated players that have made it this far. It's uh, nine actually wide open nine. There you go. Yeah. 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 Wide open draw. Um, one of the reasons that it feels even more open is you have Sebalanka, Goff and Krajikova, the only top 10 seeds that are left all in the same half of the draw, all in the bottom half of the draw. That's right. So, you know, they're all going to have to get through one another to make it to the final or the semifinal. And it leaves that top half um, extremely open. You've got uh, Neskova, Svitolina, Azarenka, Yastremska, Paolini, Kalinskaya, Zhang, and Doden. Um, eight players that uh, you might not have penned in to make it this far. I mean, Azarenka maybe, Svitolina maybe. Uh, the rest are all kind of going on a bit of a run here. And the only person out of that group of eight that has ever been in a slam finalist um, is Azarenka. And she won the Australian Open twice. That was 2012 and 2013. That was 10 years ago. So one of those eight names is going to be our finalist. And the only one that's been there, done that, is, is Azarenka. So huge opportunity for the other seven who have never um, even had a whiff at a, at a slam final. I think out of those eight players, Fidelina is the only one that's come close. She hasn't made a final before. She's made semifinals at slams. So um, huge opportunity for the top half of the bracket. I mean, wide open. Yeah. And uh, on Azarenka gets through Ostapenko. I thought that would be a really tricky match and just got through in straight sets. So um, yeah, I agree that, that that top half is going to be really interesting to see if uh, somebody sneaks in and makes their first semifinal and maybe even final. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty, pretty crazy. Um, so let's recap some of the matches in a little bit more detail. I, I know it's been it's been tricky with some of the matches coming on later for us, and um, you know we've both done our, our due diligence trying to stay up through some of them and yeah. and uh, endure. So we we talked about Iga's match. She loses to 19 year old Naskova in three sets. It was one that we previewed just a little bit in the last episode that could present a challenge for her, and and obviously it did. She. Uh, struggled in her match versus Collins and um, you know she won the first set in this match and looked like it was going to be typical uh, you know Iga she was going to coast on through to the next round but uh, Neskova pulls off the comeback she wins the next two sets I didn't catch this match Um, I got to go back and watch some of the highlights for it going to be honest 
Um, I was listening to some commentary about it earlier this morning. Um, everybody seems really impressed with Nascova and looks like somebody that we're going to have to pay closer attention to. I think she's 50th in the world or somewhere around there. Um, so she's going to you know, see herself rise in the ranks and start to be seated at future tournaments, which is, which is great. Yeah. yeah. What, what do you think of the, the Yonix kit? It's kind of out there, but I kind of like it. Uh, I, you know, well, I don't think I, I don't, I don't know if I noticed it. What, what, what was the Yonix kit uh, looking like a, for her? It's a crazy pattern, kind of, uh, you know, colorful. Um, I'll, give, I'll give you my real time. <laughs> real time, yeah. <laughs> I, I saw a lot of a lot about it, and uh, it, it's it, it's a a bold move. But I, I was like, okay, you know what? This doesn't look awful. I kind of like it, especially for Yonix, which usually is kind of conservative. With um, okay, yes, I did see this. Mm-hmm. I did see this. Um, fine. I don't know. It, it, <laughs> <laughs> it reminds me a little bit of the. Uh, bizarre Nike outfit from the U.S. Open that Tiafo and um, Esarenka were wearing, and I think there were some people who who could pull that off. That kind of yeah. obscure pattern. Um, yeah, it's okay. I mean, it's Australian Open colors, which is kind of nice. Yeah. I, don't, I don't hate it. I, I don't find it as offensive as the romper that uh, Tiafo was wearing. So, man, yeah, <laughs> yeah, that was yeah. But going on. Um... First match that we have lined up just to recap is uh, Mira and Driva's comeback. That was yeah. uh, that match was kind of up and down. She lost the first set six one, wins the second six one, and then gets down one five in uh, the third set. And seemingly, you know, she was staying pretty positive. She was getting frustrated. Um, I know there was some commentary online about you know how she was kind of acting. But she she pulled it together. Um, Pari, I believe is how you pronounce her last name. She's French. Was doing like it, it was an interesting matchup. She was just slicing everything and lobbing and doing all this off pace stuff. Which it you know it took a little bit of time for Mira to adjust to that and kind of find rhythm and find an answer. And obviously we we've seen her be completely on fire and just blow people off the court. And it, I think it's really it was really cool to see her kind of find a way to problem solve, not just a matchup, but just mentally pull through, wins five games in a row, gets to, I think mm-hmm. it finished in a tie break. Um, yeah. Yep. Yep. And uh, pulls through. It was, that was, that was probably one of the better matches from that day. And that was the early match, I think. So that was, that was a good yeah. one. Yeah. Yeah. I think the day matches have been fantastic. I'm glad because those are the ones that I'm, I'm more alert and more awake for. Right. But uh, yeah, she looked really good and she, she won the praise of Andy Murray. I know Andy Murray when not playing on the tour is uh, on Twitter a lot and complimenting a lot of the younger generation of players. And he had some kind words to say about her, didn't he? Yeah. Yeah. That's, um, you know, I sort of going at, I, I'm not sure what commentator that was because it wasn't on the feed that I was listening to, but basically he was saying how the commentators were kind of, you know, putting this thing on Andriva saying she's too negative and he kind of clapped back in a way without dropping any names. And then later in, in her conference, she said, uh, oh, my God, I'm going to I'm going to find a way to print that out and like put it mm-hmm. on my wall when I travel, which is so yeah. funny. <laughs> yeah, he just he just called her uh, a winner, basically. Yep. Um, you know, she has she has everything that, she, you know, all the tools that she needs to kind of put it together and compose herself and called her a winner and yeah, she seems really humble and her, um, I really enjoy all of her interviews post-match and she talked a lot about watching 
old uh, tennis matches too. I've heard, which is which is really cool to see. You know, I, it's kind of like you and I. I go on YouTube sometimes and I watch old tennis matches just for the fun of it. And it's uh, it's cool to see somebody who's she seems yeah very humble and uh, real love for the game and um, really bright future. Uh, impressive run that she's on right now. Another one that's unseated. I don't think anybody would have put her as, uh, uh, I don't know the right, the right word for it. I don't know that anybody would have been surprised to hear that she made it to the fourth round because we know that that talent is there. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, yeah, another player making a run really impressing age 16. Um, sky's the limit. I don't know. Do you, do you care to make any prediction on what her ceiling is? Just seeing her through these last couple of years, man. I mean, <laughs> High ceiling, because this is, I mean, when did we first see Coco start to beat top players? Was she around the same age, 16, I think, maybe 17? Uh, if I remember correctly, her U.S. Open, she was 15 years old, and that would have been the U.S. Open that she played uh, Venus Williams. And okay. I want to yep. say off the top of my head, this is tough. I'm, you know, I'm trying to, trying to keep our podcast as accurate as possible, but sometimes I have to look it up. I, I, I want to say she made it to the the third round there, mm-hmm. maybe fourth. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll have to pull it up. But yeah, she, I think she right. was 15 at the time. So but, we're kind of seeing those parallels between Coco Goff's rise and, and Mira's. Um, but uh, yeah, super impressive. And for Mira, it's it's she had a really strong U.S. Open last year, and mm-hmm. she's carrying it into this year. I think Coco Goff, you saw a little bit more of an up and down and um, you know finding her way into being a consistent contender and uh, you know, Mira's right there. So yeah, I mean, su- super high limit. I don't, I, uh, high ceiling she's on only, her. I don't, yeah. Yeah. She's only going to get better. That's right. <laughs> you know, she's already consistently kind of consistently making the second week of slams and uh, still kind of figuring out her game. She's only going to get tougher with match, you know, mentally. So um, very high ceiling. I mean, like we discussed before, it feels like on the WTA, there's, there's the tier one players and then there's like everyone else, and we're kind of waiting for other players to kind of step up and bridge that gap. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe, maybe she does it this year. Maybe in a couple of years, hard hard to say. Um, and we can get into this into the you know, looking forward into the draw. She's got a tough matchup. If she was on the top half of the draw, I would say, man, she she could easily make a semi or a final. But right. she's got you know, she's got to go through multiple Grand Slam winners to to advance. Yeah. So it, it, it's going to be tough. Yeah, and we'll talk about some of the matches in the fourth round that we're looking forward to. Hers is definitely one of them. She matches up against Krajikova. Um, you know, not not a pushover in her own right, the nine seed here. Um, but yeah, yeah, I agree. If she were in the top half of the bracket, um, I you know I might be picking her to to go through another round or two at least. So yeah. Uh, what else we got? What are some other matches that you were really excited about in the last round? We got some notes here on on the various matches. Um, um, Stuff that I that I've seen that I was really tuned into, um, Shelton Manorino, that match. Yeah, you typed uh, up a novel for that one. Oh my god! Yeah, you, you guys, you can't. <laughs> yeah, maybe someday we release the notes. But yeah, basically, I got I got super excited. Normally, how we do is we'd like leave like a little, you know, a few bullet points. And uh, Ian probably woke up the next day and like literally like the whole. <laughs> I doubled the size of the notes with just all of my little, the things I was picking up during that match. Um, Fun match. I uh, I had a feeling it was going to be tricky, just because uh, I mean Shelton is still relatively you know new on the tour, and I don't I know I'm pretty sure he's played against Manorino before, but Manorino just creates so many problems for whoever he's playing against, and I had a feeling it would be kind of tough for 
Shelton to just kind of problem solve. We know the game and the, you know, the power he brings with the serve and everything. And uh, he held up well in, in the beginning of the match. There was a clear tactical plan that I think he fell fell away from, which was he was using his backhand slice a lot, like the most I've ever seen him slice. Um, I'm guessing the thinking is like, all right, I'm just going to try to keep the ball low for Manorino, which, you know, he's got kind of like a weird take back, weird grip. And I guess mm-hmm. the theory is if you get it low on him, he's not going to be able to come around on it. But um, it didn't really seem to bother Manorino too much. Um also, Manorino, tact- tactically, if you watch him a lot, you know on the ad side, he just basically hooks his serve out through the alley. It usually is just a huge problem for right-handers to be able to recover from the serve plus one off that pattern. But uh, Shelton had that kind of figured out. It went right into his forehand, and he was ripping forehand return winners down the line, which was crazy. He was doing sort of like the buggy whip technique. Um, so it... Tactically, it was really interesting. Like any Manorino match, it's, you're going to see some problem solving on Manorino's side. You're, you're basically, you know what you're going to see. He's just going to do what he what he does well, and like it's on it's on the other guy to adjust. Um, fun crowd, fun atmosphere. Um, mm-hmm. It was. I'm I'm really happy I stayed up for that match. Yeah, it was. Yeah. It ended up being a really good match. Um, it was a problem for Shelton. I think the power game that he has and Manorino's. Uh, short take back on his swing and the fact that the ball just really trampolines off of his racket with his his string tension. Uh, like you said in the last episode, he just makes it look really effortless. It doesn't look like he's putting anything into his shots, but they come back with good pace because of uh, because of that that string tension that he has because of where he meets the ball. Um, and it was causing problems for Shelton, who's used to kind of using his power to push people off of the court, um, especially on his serve. And it just wasn't it wasn't working for him. I mean, he was able to bring it to a fifth set. I thought it was a really good match and um, was excited and I was getting strapped in for, I actually woke up to catch that fifth set cause I fell asleep for a little bit. <laughs> um, but yeah, Manorino just in classic Manorino form looked very unbothered, very stoic, just kept moving from point to point. Um, and yeah, he, he presented a challenge for Shelton and he now has a, a 12 and two record in five sets, uh, which is, pretty amazing i didn't know that stat until i saw it uh come across on social media and his only two losses come to federer and murray so um time to start crowning him the uh, five set king over there yeah that's that's wild because when you think of like uh you know players that do well in five sets you think of these incredible elite athletes and and you see manorino and he just looks like like a guy you would see at the supermarket kind of you know (laughs) his uh his baggy Lululemon, you know, not not sponsored because you know when you see a player that's sponsored by Lulu, they have a, a larger logo than regular. Yeah. Um, just I, I made a reel about this. I'm sure you know people saw it, but just super casual about everything. There, I saw a video last night of you know in the hallway before they walk out. They're usually doing some cone drills or like some you know band warm ups, and Shelton was doing his thing, and Manorino's just sitting in an office chair, like kind of like looking around, like. <laughs> like swiveling the office chair um yeah really really interesting um god that was uh that was a fun one he's got Novak next I wonder if he's found out if he's playing Novak yet <laughs> I, I find that hard to think that like somebody hasn't spoiled it for him yet um also just the an interesting thing just the dynamic of like the different styles like Ben and this is just in tennis in general but Ben 
does everything so extra, it seems like. If he gets pulled out wide and has to slice a backhand, he doesn't do a crossover step. He'll do, like, the spin move and recover back. And Manorino is kind of just seemingly never out of balance, just kind of floating around the court. Not like a Federer, but just very minimal in every movement, like no no energy gels, just straight-up Gatorade. Like, it, it's it, it's so fascinating to watch. Yeah. Um, and that's just a cool thing about watching Grand Slams is you see so many different styles. You feel like, and as someone that I, I deal with technique every day, teaching it, I it's so, because it's like, you see Medvedev, you see Manorino, just these weird, unique things. And it's like, you know what, it whatever works. Yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's there's definitely some some players in the tour that have form that you wouldn't necessarily teach, but it works for them. And I think of Medvedev for that, <laughs> the way yep. he's limbs are always flailing around, but yeah, whatever works for you. And, um, it was a fun match. Um, you know, bummer to see Shelton go out there. I think, like you said, Manorino Djokovic will be an interesting matchup. I was like you, I was thinking about how he doesn't go into the match knowing who his opponent is. And I couldn't imagine, uh, for all he knows, he's going to get, um, an unseated player this round, you know, and I couldn't imagine, putting yourself or maybe he doesn't put himself in any headspace. He shows up to the tunnel and he's standing right next to Djokovic and you're like, Oh, okay. Or maybe he, maybe I was thinking about like, how would he maybe figure out who he was playing? And maybe he's, you know, he's going to find out he's on Rod Laver arena and go, Oh no. Okay. It must be, it must be Djokovic <laughs> I, or something. <laughs> yeah. When I was put to, putting together my reel, I, I saw a few things. So the last two rounds, he said he found out he was playing against Shelton sitting in the player's lounge and uh, he just saw it come up on the TV it just, mm. you know, next on or whatever. And it's like, oh, wow. And then the match before that, um, I guess he, I think he was playing against Munar. He said the the driver the um, picked him up and said, hey, good luck against Munar. And he was like, oh, mm. okay, I guess I'm playing against, I guess I'm playing against <laughs> yeah. him. Thanks. Um, yeah, thanks, man. <laughs> something, something else that, that kind of came up. I, I, are, do you go on tennis Twitter a lot? Are you? Uh, I used to not yeah, really do that. I, yeah, I do. I mean, there's a couple people that I follow, and I really ritually, but um, I'm not. I don't know that I'm engaging with it during the matches. I think I'm really trying to stay present with that and uh, take right. notes or whatever. But no, a, a little bit. I've I've started to lurk, and that's after you know, kind of being around credentialed media. I've realized they're putting all their information first out there. So mm-hmm. uh, I started looking around before I never really looked at it. And there was a ton of stuff about Shelton and kind of his, uh, you know, how he's uh, people negative in the, in the way of how he was behaving on court, I guess, which I don't mm-hmm. see any problem with. He's hyping himself up. This is, yeah. I think people forget he's, he was playing college like two years ago. Um, but specifically, you know, him going around like, I'm tough, I'm tough, talking to his parents. I don't see anything negative with it, but there was a huge wave of like negative posts about it. And I don't quite get it. And then on top of that, Novak speaking again on the, on the phone thing saying like, Oh, you know, he was, he, he was maybe crossing the line and I I don't know. I I don't quite see it. Interesting, interesting topic because I, I prefer to see players emotions. I prefer to see, you know, I'm somebody that I, I'm pretty animated on the court. I don't think I'm annoying, but maybe I am to some <laughs> people. I don't know. I'm pretty animated. I like to have a good time. I like to have fun with tennis on a professional level. I think that should be okay too. I think um, if, hyping yourself up, great. Um, I think there is a line where it might be a little, little too much. Um, but what does that mean for the audience? Uh, it gives us uh, maybe a villain, or maybe it gives us this back and forth between two players where they're kind of 
you know, jabbing at one another vocally or, or otherwise, maybe it's, you know, mm-hmm. to the boxes or to the crowd. I mean, it gives us, that gives us more entertainment in my opinion. I think there's a line that can be crossed where it's, you know, it's, it's no longer, um, you know, it's, it's, it goes beyond what maybe should be allowed on a tennis court sometimes. And I don't condone that, but I, I think it's great. I, I like, I like to see players personalities. I like to see people getting excited and hyped up and, and um, I, I don't think Shelton crosses the line personally. I think it's fun. And uh, I think there's a lot of young people maybe getting into tennis for the first time that also find it fun. I don't, I don't subscribe to the belief that young kids are going to see that behavior and not learn respect on the tennis court. I don't think that's true at all. Tennis is a very, respectful sport it, it, we don't we're not crossing lines in in tennis where people are getting into fights necessarily you know i, <laughs> I think it's i think it's good and yeah and a lot of the uh the college players that are you know making a name for themselves now they're used to that atmosphere and they're used to having their um their friends and family courtside with them cheering if you've ever been to a college match you know the the pac-12 comes up here in ojai and plays at the ojai tennis tournament it's it's loud it is loud it is fun they are chanting um, their, you know, their, their, their box or their, their fans or whatever are, are hyping them up. There's a lot of interaction. I just, to me, it adds to the environment. So I'm all for it. Yeah. And, and when you think of like, uh, you know, we were talking about soccer atmosphere, great environments for matches, very rarely are those matches involving Americans, right? Like mm-hmm. I, I feel like, you know, it, you it's see, true. you know, Tommy Fritz, like people will support it, but I mean, during, during, um, this match, there was like loud USA, USA, which was funny <laughs> to me because it's like, who's American there? Like, I don't know. Yeah. But like, I think, I think that got, that really brought people into the match. I mean, they had, I took a screenshot of it. There's this dude with like all of the cups stacked on top of each other. It kind of brought that soccer atmosphere, which I feel like you don't normally see for an American player. Um, but yeah, I just saw that on Twitter and I was like, what, what is this? This is yeah, boring. Like it. Yeah, yeah. Come on. Yeah. Have some fun. <laughs> have some fun exactly um we'll stick with the americans we we had a lot of matches to kind of go through here and maybe some of these we can kind of gloss over you know um you've got stefanos winning in straight sets uh he seems to be on a bit of a collision course potentially with djokovic back injury doesn't seem to be too much of an issue that's it's good to see pick yep so um you know, some of the matches like Sinner again, he's another one. He's just rolling. And I think that's kind of, you know, what you want to see from Sinner. He's was one of the betting favorites going into this. Everybody is mm-hmm. thinks that he is now one of one of the contenders. He um, going back to last year has proved that he belongs in that top four. Um, so he he's rolling. Um, but you got a little you have a note here on when his match times have been scheduled. I noticed that. Oh, yeah, they've been so just personally, because all of last week I was kind of teaching on court, I have not been able to watch a single point of uh, any of Sinner's matches just because he is rolling and he's always been scheduled mm-hmm. first on. Um, and he made a comment about it just saying, hey, you know, thank you for the people in Italy. It's like 2 a.m. for you guys. But uh, my, my kind of question was like, would you prefer to be first on or would you prefer to be prime time? I mean, just with the way the matches have been ending so late, I feel like you probably don't want that, and you'd want the the first on. Um, I think it's allowing Sinner to maybe go a little under the radar here. He's he's doing what you expect him to. He's winning these early-round matches relatively easily. I think if he would have a choice i think he'd prefer to fly under the radar and let the let the bright lights you know be when it matters most so yeah um yeah, you know it seems to suit him 
Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I mean, yeah, if, the, yeah go the ahead. Karate, the Karate Boys are out there. That's right. Which is yeah. funny. They, Wait, they who's, a, who's the banana team that I saw dressed oh, up in banana that's outfits? New. I don't know. People are trying to do. Yeah, I, I actually, I, I know what you're talking about. I saw it. I, I don't know for what player that is. Um, yeah. We'll see. Um, I just know. Well, there was a meme a while ago about Andre Rublev and bananas, how he's always asking for more bananas during the match. Don't know if that's for him or not, but I saw the, the Karata boys, uh, they had a press conference, which is like, wow, you guys are really, you guys are really out there. You're really doing it. They've been, uh, they were at the U.S. Open. They're at the Australian Open now. Um, follow them on Instagram. They follow back. It, it's, a, it's a cool, cool thing to see. But uh, yeah, playing first on, that seems to suit Sinner. I, I personally would rather play first just to kind of get it over with, have the rest of the day because, you know, you never know which matches are going to go long. They tried to adjust the schedule, but still matches are going super late. Yeah. Well, I got to look into, uh, maybe maybe you can Google it real quick and look into who, who the banana uh, fan base is is out there for. No idea. Yeah. Um, I I did want to go back to a couple of the other Americans that were in the draw. You had Korda playing Rublev. That was a match that we talked about. We were, we were pretty excited to see, um, didn't really come to fruition the way that we thought it might. Um, Rublev ends up winning that one in straight sets. Um, there was a tense second set tie break that I was really tuned into, um, Korda is somebody that I've, I've always supported. And I talked about this on one of the last episodes. I've kind of been a defender of his. I think he's had bad luck with injuries and confidence. And I think he has the potential to be a top 10 player. Um, but that match was maybe the first time I felt a little down on his game. There was some mental decisions that were really costly for him in that tie break that, um, you know, he ended up losing obviously. Uh, but, uh, yeah, he was, he was up four two, made some mistakes, um, I have on here, uh, he had, yeah, he, he advanced the net. He was, he got lobbed and at five, five, uh, hit a put away volley back at Rublev who punched a backhand passing shot. And, yeah. I, and you saw Corda's reaction on a few of those, just kind of throwing his head back upset that he wasn't finishing the points off the way that he probably should have. Um, and yeah, he just, He's clearly unhappy. He squandered that that set, and um, and then Rublev, you know, just ended up finishing him off in straight sets. And you know, it was just one of the first matches I felt a little down on court. His game uh, just doesn't seem confident, and uh, it was a, a match where I think his mental decisions on where to put the ball and um, how conservative he was on a couple of the points that really held him back from um, doing any real damage to Rublev. So I don't I don't know if you caught any of that one, but not no. super impressed with Korda there. Yeah, and just from watching highlights and, and clips, um, usually Korda super stoic or positive. But this, I agree, this yep. is one of the first times where I, I like a little bit of negative body language, mm-hmm. just kind of down on himself, towel over his head on the changeover. Just so, um, yeah, that's tough. I mean, obviously he's just coming back. Um, I know this might be you know a whole another thing to dive into. I, I think he should possibly go on the Casper Rude track play a bunch of 250s, try to get confidence up, build up some rankings yeah. points because it, it's kind of hard to... I, he's definitely got the game to compete in uh, best of five, but um, yeah, just I, I don't think he's played enough tennis. And it, it is tough to see someone that's, you know, being hard on themselves. It's not usually hard on themselves, but also it was Andre Rublev who took out another American before that in straight sets, is consistently getting into the second week of tournament. So not a terrible loss, but you, you do feel like he probably could have competed better kept it closer 
Yeah, well, good good call out on the body language because yeah, that was that was very it was noticeable. It was noticeable. You don't usually see that from him, and it was you know tough to see him. And um, another American that uh, was really down on himself was Tommy Paul. Um, Tommy Oof. Paul, who had a lot of points to defend, he made it to the semifinals last year, I believe. Right, semifinals. Yep. He played the match against Shelton, and yeah, um, yep. not in the semis, but that got him into the semis. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, he fails to capitalize on two match points in the fourth set tie break. Um, it was right there for him. Uh, Kechmanovic played really well. He Kechmanovic hung in there. Um, the tie break ends up going nine, seven, a, a really good tie break, but yeah. uh, it ends up going to a fifth set and in the changeover going to the fifth set, um, very uh, upset with himself. They didn't finish off that match. Uh, he goes down an early break right away. First game into the fifth set and at 03 ends up smashing his racket at the changeover. Yeah. And um, the commentators for that match noted that he had a bit of a limp. So it seems like something was bothering him, something in his leg maybe. Um, and he uh, loses 14 straight points and then goes on to lose that final set 06. There was a, my, my girlfriend was saying, I don't want to watch this. This is depressing. We love Tommy Paul. And we're, yeah. she was like, I, he's going to lose. And I said, no, 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 no. We're staying for the comeback. <laughs> that sure. never happened. Why not? <laughs> so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that, that I I got actually last night. I got back from In and Out, turned on the TV because uh, got a phone call of like, "Hey, Tommy's in trouble." It's like, "All right, let me see what's going on." And it was pretty much exactly at the racket smash. And I was like, "Oh man, he's down, double break, not looking good." But we'll see. And then the next three games went by in feel, like seemingly like ten minutes, and it was just like, "Oh man, that's uh, yeah, it was tough. rough." But yeah, I, I don't know how many points he's gonna drop now um but he did do pretty well at the beginning of last season following up the semi-final run i think he made a final in acapulco in some points at indian wells so um don't know how far he'll drop based on this um i guess we can follow up with like rankings changes post ao mm-hmm. but um yeah that was uh that was a tough one i i, I had him going through in that match yeah, and that leaves Fritz as the last American uh, in the men's wow. side of the draw. Um, just good for him. You know, he got knocked out uh, relatively early last Australian Open, so mm-hmm. uh, good for him to to be out there and kind of leading the charge again for the Americans. Um, Blowing through get, sneakers. What, what was that? that? Blowing through sneakers. Yeah, that, what's he, going on with it? He's got the older uh, Nike uh, Vapor Pros called? on. Paper Pro, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, like, it's just, I mean, obviously players blow through shoes. The outsoles don't last very long. Not like that, for though. A, or, yeah, exactly. Even for a recreational player. But that, it almost looked like there was, like, a bullet hole on the top yes. of the shoe <laughs> from, from the yeah. sliding. It's just, yeah, that was that was wild. I, I slide a lot, but um, I've never had it that high on the shoe, and I've never had it just carved through like that. I think he, he even, like, got through the sock. They were, like, yeah. addressing his foot. At, on the sideline <laughs> a little bit um but yeah. Uh, yeah fritz fritz is another one who is he's he's getting through i mean his set uh or his match ended up going four sets but um he's he's getting through uh with relative ease as well i mean he's looking pretty strong and um you know good for him to be kind of carrying the flag for america here so yeah uh, what other matches? We got a few here. We do want to give some round four previews uh, before we wrap up. Um, but yeah, what what were some of the other ones here that you wanted to highlight? Um, so matches that I that I saw, because um, obviously there's there's some big upsets. <clears throat> Excuse me. 
pain results, but last night I was tuned into uh, Medvedev and Felix. I thought mm-hmm. there was maybe some potential there, um, especially potential just to be an interesting matchup, uh, especially early in the match. I don't, I don't think Medvedev was playing well. I actually, throughout any of his matches, obviously he, he came back from two sets down last match, but he hasn't been playing clean. He hasn't been in top form, and it, at least in this match, it seemed like it was sort of a, a hangover from finishing at like four in the morning he i was listening to his post-match interview he said he ended up going to sleep at 7 a.m the next day waking up at 11 um he's i mean very similar schedule to us i guess but yeah um yeah he uh didn't play great but still good enough to take down felix in straight sets um i was kind of excited to see felix make it this far because he's a player that i kind of root for he's someone talking speaking on technique where i see it and i'm like wow like davidovich volkina i'm like everything is like textbook it's perfect this guy has all the tools he just needs to kind of put it together um and you know tough to face against Medvedev but if if he was going to beat him I think that was a good opportunity last night I think uh Felix is now 0 for 7 or 8 0 for everything against uh Medvedev in his career now Mm. but uh yeah we'll see uh I don't know who who Medvedev has oh yeah he has uh an underdog next so we'll see how that matchup goes but um yeah, not looking tip-top, but good enough to survive, so he moves on. Yeah, um, Medvedev will play uh, uh, Nuno Borges from, from yep. Portugal. Uh, who upset. had the Yeah, upset Grigor Dimitrov, who had been looking really well, really good. He won uh, ATP 250 to start the year. Um, and uh, yeah, a great win for Portugal. He becomes the first Portuguese male player to reach the fourth round at the Australian Open. Um, he's, uh, he's, he's been around the block for a while. Um, one of his best results, if not his best result, uh, at a grand slam, I'd have to, to, to double check that, but, um, yeah, he's, he's, uh, he's made a little bit of a run here and now he gets the challenge of Medvedev in the next round. So, yeah. Uh, some of the other ones that we had written down, I watched Azarenka and, and Ostapenko, oh, nice. um, straight sets victory, uh, tight second set. Uh, Ostapenko tried to break Vika at the end there. Vika was serving at 6-5. Uh, she saved a couple break points, um, hitting uh, aces on the on the ad side. Uh, really, really strong serving from her. Um, really great post-match interview from Vika as well. She was kind of spitting words of, of wisdom and talking about motherhood and talking about, um, you know, the challenges that she faces on the court and some of the lessons that she's trying to pass down to her son. Um, really, really great interview from her. I've always liked Vika. Um, she's looking really strong right now and her Nike outfit. I have a note here, uh, I don't typically like the Nike stuff. They tend to rotate a lot of the same gear and just change the colors of it. The the mauve dress that she had on looked outstanding on her. And I can't tell if it's because the dress is good or Vika just looks good in everything. I'm starting to think it's just Vika because I tend to like everything that she ends up wearing. She just wears it so well. She's She always wears the headband and the braided hair and um, she does like mid, like quarter length socks. I know a lot of the women wear the, the low socks. Um, she looked amazing in her outfit. So uh, some notes from that match. Uh, but for me, the takeaways were her post-match interview and her outfit were just so awesome. So, yeah, yeah, the, actually the, the Nike dresses look good. Like the other outfits, eh, whatever, but yeah, I, I agree. And also like I saw her walking around, uh, when I was in Guadalajara, uh, doing press interviews, even off-court fits, like, just, 
elite, basically, athleisure. Mm-hmm. You know, she's wearing sunglasses inside and stuff. She's cool. Like, she's... Yeah, she seems cool. She's, she's cool. Uh, we'll have to do a, a list of people we'd have a beer with or have a drink with, and I think she's in the top 10 for me. <laughs> she lives in L.A., yeah. Oh, does she really? I think in Santa Monica, yeah. Or at least, oh. you know, when she's not playing, she's based out of there. Because, yeah, I've, I've had a few um, buddies of mine... Um, couple years back practiced with her you know much better players than i am but yeah they, she would have him come on up and hit and train so she's uh somewhat local connection i guess <laughs> yeah well well vika if you ever find yourself listening let's um yeah let's go play <laughs> some tennis or something <laughs> yeah <laughs> Uh, yeah, a couple other results. I'll just kind of breeze through these. And, and mm-hmm. if you've got, you know, points you want to make on this, Anissa Mova, um, ends up beating Bedosa. She's still only 22 years old. That was a surprise wow. to me. I forgot that she was, she was, I believe 17 when she was really starting to, um, knock off some top tier players on, on her career. Um, yep. she, uh, wins and it was a tight game. It looks like a score wise, seven, five, six, four. Um, I don't know. Did you get a chance to watch that one? No, I think that was okay. an early match, but uh, slept on comeback. I mean, it was sort of like, you know, that's what they were promoing. It's like, all right, this is the comeback of, you know, X, Y, Z, all these players. And uh, she slipped through the cracks and is, you know, is here now. She's always been one of the cleanest ball strikers, huge game, yeah. uh, which, as we talked about in the previous episode, those those types of players tend to do well when they catch fire and uh, seemingly she's, she's found a level Um, good to see because I think she took a break. uh, I can't remember if it was like any specific injury or if it was just kind of like, Hey, I just, I just want to walk away from tennis for a little bit and come back. I remember watching her play at Indian Wells. I think it was against Maria Sakari and um, it was like, pretty disappointing like she lost it like as soon as she lost the first set she just shook hands and walked out and then Mm -hmm. not long after that she was like you know she took her break so i wasn't sure if it was an injury or not can look into it but she's back it could be i i feel like i do remember there being injury struggles um but i know she also uh she she lost her father uh when she was on the tour and uh, so I'm, i'm not sure if some of the break that she took was attributed to that but uh yeah good to see her back and good to see her you know, playing really well. Um, we'll kind of go through a couple matches of the round four. We've kind of been peppering it in, if you haven't noticed, but she plays Sabalenka next round, who she has a four and one head-to-head record against. That was really oh. surprising to see. So, you know, Sabalenka, who is trying to defend her title, um, I don't know if there's another player that has a better win percentage against her than Anissa Mova. I would have to look it up, but um, four, four, uh, four wins to one loss in favor of Anissa Mova in that head-to-head for the next round. So that'll be one to definitely keep an eye on. Yeah, yeah. And so far, I know we haven't really spoken on Sabalenka because most of her matches have been pretty straightforward. She's just been cruising past everyone, but this is going to be the first matchup where she might have a little bit of trouble just matchup-wise. We know Sabalenka likes to be aggressive and uh she's playing against someone who's just as if not more aggressive so yeah it'll be it'll be a big tug of war i think yeah yeah and sabalenka gets through with a double bagel match i think was 52 minutes long uh wow. probably warmed up for almost as long as the entire match um so sabalenka getting to uh start collecting bagels uh in Iga fashion uh for this year yeah. for herself so uh, last one that we had a note here for was Kazo, uh, upsetting Greek spore. Um, I don't, you know, I didn't have Greek spore isn't somebody that I would have 
penned in to be making any sort of deep run. So I guess it doesn't come as too much as too much of a surprise, but really impressive stuff from Kezo. He uh, is the first non-Australian wild card to reach round four since 1994. Um, yeah. Another somebody that I haven't really watched a lot of, and now I'm going to have to start to do my research and start to watch a little bit more of him. So um, that was the uh, the last note that we had here from from yeah. round three. And cool to see because once in a while you'll get like a, an unseeded player take down a top seed and then just get crushed in the next round. So it's good to see because that was probably the biggest news is he took down Holger Runa in four, yep. followed this matchup uh, with another victory, and is now into the second week of a slam so yeah yeah good to see also had that moment where it seems like a fun guy like uh slid out for a ball didn't really fall but caught himself started doing push-ups and was like I'm yeah like, <laughs> I, saw that. <laughs> I saw that clip yeah 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 another backwards hat guy for you too i know you're into that lacoste yeah backwards yeah. hat yeah <laughs> um so yeah i mean i feel like some of those upsets that we're talking about and these surprise runs uh that feels like a bit of the storyline here from round three. And we talked about that in episode one, we said that there was, there was going to be somebody, there was going to be a few players maybe that, um, you know, we'd be talking about that we wouldn't have typically put here in this spot in round four. Um, you know, Borges, uh, Kazo, Kachmanovic, even Nori who knocked off rude, you know, a a great player is, I think he's made it up to number nine in the world. So we know that, that, that he has the abilities, but, uh, he knocks off rude. So he's another, he's a little bit lower down in the seating, but you know, he's, he's in there. Um, yep. and on the women's side, you know, we talked about all the names. You have Naskova, Yastremska, Kalinskaya, uh, Doden, Kostiuk, who looks great. Um, mm-hmm. Timofeva, another one. She's looking really good. Uh, Freck, uh, Andrieva and Anisimova. So, um, talking about you know the the surprise runs and the people that you you know you knew there was going to be a few of them uh, we got more than a few this time <laughs> yeah 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 that's kind of a, a good follow-up to that because yeah there's always at least one or two that you know it's kind of like uh, where people have to start doing research of like who, who's this player who's Aslan Karatsev you know uh, who's Hun Young Chung but uh, yeah we got plenty of research to do now <laughs> yeah for sure into round four here and we wrote down some matches that you know as the rounds keep going uh you're going to have more and more marquee matchups it's going to be a lot more difficult for us to just highlight two or three of them there's there's going to be something to talk about with every single one of them so i think next week our plan is we are going to do quarterfinals picks we talked about this uh just before hopping on today there's going to be um a total of eight matches for us to go through i think it's Maybe the plan might be just to go through all eight of them. We'll make our picks. We'll see who uh, who who comes out ahead with our picks and, <laughs> and makes the most mm-hmm. correct uh, selections there. But um, let's talk about round four, some of the matches you're most excited about. Is there uh, one you want to start with? Um, Yeah, I, I would like... Uh... I'm going to be tuned into, I, I know I sound like such a fanboy, but Manorino and Djokovic, just because that that's, you know, the result we expect Novak to win and probably maybe even in straight sets. But just for the fact of kind of what I spoke on earlier, just the matchup nightmare that Manorino creates. So what we saw with Shelton was he started with a strategy, it wasn't working, and then just kind of abandoned it and just tried to rely on just hitting big. Um, with Novak, maybe the best in-match in adjuster ever. 
So I'm going to be really tuned into how, like, what's the playbook? How is Novak going to try to dismantle Manorino? You know what Manorino is going to do? He's going to basically just stay on the baseline, try to get to the net. But uh, yeah, I'm going to be tuned into just the the tactics of that match. Because uh, if you remember a while back when Medvedev was really making his run um, on his come up, nobody really knew how to play against him. And yeah. he was just kind of defeating everyone until he met Novak. I think it was at uh, the Paris Masters or some or the ATP final. But Novak, you know, switched his tactic from basically just kind of trying to out rally him to getting to the net, serve and volley, exploiting Medvedev's court position. And then ever since then, we see other players trying to adopt that playbook. We've seen Carlos do it. We've seen Sinner do it. Uh, not everyone has the talent to be able to pull it off, but. So it's really interesting to watch Novak, you know, come up with these tactical plans because you know for sure he knows who he's playing against way in advance, has a strategy, has three strategies if one doesn't work. So, um, yeah, a result that's almost, you know, predetermined, but just how it's going to play out is something that I'm really interested to see. Yeah, and Manorino 0-4 against Novak. Um, So it's definitely a challenge for him and we didn't mention it earlier, but he's spent almost 12 hours on court now, 11 <laughs> hours and 46 minutes <clears throat> yeah. um, between all of his five set matches. I think it would be a record if he were to go five with Djokovic. I'm not positive. Um, seems like gotta it should be. be. <laughs> yeah, got to be. Uh, but let's stick in that part of the bracket um, because somebody is going to have to – if Djokovic is going to – run away with this or or if you're you know looking to see if there's somebody who could knock him off somebody's going to have to do damage i don't know if it's manorino but there's the potential here that he's going to play the winner of fritz and Sitsipas. so mm-hmm. um that's a match i'm looking forward to because i want to see um you know manorino might present a challenge for djokovic I, I i do think djokovic probably ultimately wins that match but the next person in line that might be able to do a little bit of damage to, to Djokovic's run here would be the winner of Fritz and, and Sitsipas and Steph leads that head-to-head uh three to one um not, you know Steph's game he's, he's looking good um maybe not the best form of Steph that we've seen he seems to be tinkering with uh his game a little bit and and um, maybe not as confident in his game as he has been in the past, but um, the winner of that's going to end up having to play Djokovic. I'm looking forward to that. Um, always a little bit of a homer trying to cheer for uh, the American players and, and, and have them pull through. So I'm um, excited to watch that one. So Yeah, even even if Fritz you know gets through Stefanos, I like that matchup too because I, I don't mm-hmm. know if you remember, was it 2020 or I think it was 2020 or maybe 21 because I feel like the stands were kind of empty for that match, but Fritz was was up on Novak. And then that's where Novak had the uh, the abdominal tear, comes back, you know, beats him in five. But, um, you know, that either way, it'll be probably, you know, obviously the biggest test for Novak so far. Mm-hmm. Um, Steph does well in Australia. Obviously, it would be a rematch of the finals. So, yeah, I agree. Um, excited for however that plays out. Yeah. Um, I feel like we should maybe just stick in that section of the bracket since the top sure. half is so stacked. Yeah. Um, Sinner Hatchinoff. So Sinner is somebody who people have uh, mentioned as a potential here, somebody who might run into uh, Djokovic. Uh, they would meet in the semifinals if that were to happen. Um, it would be incredible. I think everybody would 
be tuning in for that one. Um, Sinner leads that head-to-head 2-1. to one. Uh, So definitely looking forward to that one. Um, And Hatchinov's tricky. I mean, he plays really well on hardcore. He had that semifinal run at the U.S. Open a couple years ago um, after knocking off uh, Kyrgios. So Mm -hmm. um, you know what's in there. You know that he can be dangerous. I think he followed that up with another semi last year at the Australian Open. I have to check. Is that right? I'm pretty Uh, sure. He he was putting together some some good hardcore runs, so you might be right. We haven't. We haven't mentioned him, but he's doing what he does very quietly, going about his business, making another second week of a slam. Um, but yeah, one of the most consistent players when it comes to hardcore slams, hardcore 1000s. He's always going to be there. He's got crazy grip, speaking of technique, but puts a ton of balls in play. Um, it'll be a challenge. I, I, I like Sinner to get through that, but it uh, it should be good. Hachinov fights. Yep. No, and I'm just realizing here, sorry to interrupt you, but we've got our notes for round four, and I just realized that all four of the ones that we mentioned on the men's side were all from that section of the bracket, you know, because on the other side, uh, you know, they they could end up being great. That always, always happens. You, you, there's matches that end up being a lot better than you'd expect, but you know, you have her cash playing Kazo, Medvedev playing Borges, Nori playing Zverev and Alcaraz playing uh, Kachmanovic. Um, Yeah. Could, could you know there could be some good matches in there but the ones that I'm definitely most excited about are are all in that top half of the bracket and the only one that we haven't mentioned is uh Alex Demonar playing Andre Rublev um which uh surprised to see Demon leads that head to head to head 3 to 2 um he's playing in front of the Aussie crowd he's playing incredibly well um so's so's Rublev uh so that yeah. could be fun and and the the winner of that uh sinner a Hatchinoff match is going to be playing um, Rublev or Demon, so that's that's a fun one. I'm that might even just looking at the that half of the bracket. I gotta think scheduling wise, they put Djokovic Manorino on in the in the day. That might be the yeah. first the first match that Djokovic has played this tournament that he's not going to be in the night session. Just True. Demon is probably going to be the the last match of the night on Rod Laver. He's I believe the last Australian left right now too, uh, after yeah. Stormy Hunter or Stormy Sanders went out. Mm-hmm. Um, so I got to think that that's the last match of the night on Rod Laver. And yeah, just looking at the other matches, I think maybe Djokovic ends up being a day session finally. Yeah. Yeah. That, that makes sense because yeah, I mean, they take care of the Aussies. The crowd's going to be electric. You have, uh, I don't know if you saw those, there's like those guys in those yellow suits with like the kangaroo with like the boxing gloves and the like yeah. inflatable. <laughs> it's just like nice. Yeah, yeah, Australian yeah. open crowds are so fun. Yeah, yeah. Well, and they're you know they're down to their their last Australian here in the main draws of the singles. So um, you got to think they'll be out there for him, which is great. Yeah. Um, and then we got a couple written down here. You know, the women's side. We talked about how many uh, surprises there are. Um, Definitely need to do a little bit more research on some of the some of the players and watch some that I, I haven't gotten a chance to watch just yet. But we had a couple written down here. You want to go through a couple of these? Um, well, we kind of already talked about Sabalenka, Anasimova. That would be good. Um, uh, Andriva and uh, Barbara Krajikova. Krajikova yeah. is someone, um, actually, I made a reel about her last year. She's like kind of a throwback to, I don't know, well, you would be familiar, uh, players just dominating in singles and doubles and even mixed doubles. I mean, she's, I think, well, she won a French Open in singles, but she's won a bunch of Grand Slams in doubles between mm-hmm. just playing with Sinyakova and then mixed doubles. I, I want to say it's something like five plus slams in total. Wow. And uh, last year, 
you know, she kind of she kind of put herself out there, kind of what I've been talking about of like who's going to bridge the gap between the the big three in women's tennis. And, and she said, you know, I, I think I'm I think I can comp- compete with any of them. She beat Iga in I think it was Dubai last year. Um, has the game, has the talent, and after she put it out there, her you know she kind of had a so-so year, but uh, is a solid player, great competitor. Um, yeah, I, I'm going to be tuned into that. That should be good. Obviously, Andriva's kind of box office. She's kind of becoming a darling of the tournament. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, that that would be a good one to watch. Yeah, and I have it here for you. She's won seven Grand Slam doubles, uh, including Australian Open last year. So, yep. Yeah, I think at uh, at the French Open, she when she won the singles, she won the doubles as well. Um, and yeah, I just remember reading about, I think it was in John McEnroe's book That's about, right. he would talk about playing slam singles and doubles. And I was like, wow, nobody, nobody really does that anymore. Obviously Coco does that. Pagula does that. But, uh, Krajikova see, is... Yeah, I think you're seeing it more in today's game. I think people are trying to round, A, just vie for court time and spend as much time yeah. on court perfecting their game as possible. I, you know, I think a lot of the singles players that are also doing doubles, it seems more of for fun for them. And I, I'm, I'm thinking of the... Uh, American players too. They they just kind of tend to enjoy uh, each other's uh, friendship and presence. So they seem to be going out there just to have a little bit of fun. Um, but you know, I think there's probably a strategic aspect to it as well. Just trying to fine tune little bits of your game, your volley game, and, and your net game. But um, yeah, like a true well-rounded contending in you know singles and doubles, much more of an '80s, early '90s thing uh, than than today. But uh, yeah, Krajikova's. Um, you know, she's great. I mean, she's going to present a challenge for Andreeva for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, that's it as far as the women's that we had written down. Um, unless there's any other ones you wanted to point out. No, I think that's good. I mean, like you said, there's always going to be something, a matchup on paper that's kind of like, oh, I don't know if I should watch that or not, and it ends up being like a great match to watch. So. Um, on paper, no, but we'll see. You know, we'll be back here in about two days' time, probably talking about one of those matches and how great it was. So, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's just a matter of which match is going to keep us up till three in the morning. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, well, I think that's it as far as recapping round three, previewing round four. Uh, we also gave our reviews on In and Out Burgers, uh, unexpected, <laughs> but I'm sure our listeners will appreciate. And um, you had one more thing. We talked a little bit about Breakpoint, and um, you know I went on a little bit of a rant on that. <laughs> and you uh, you had a, an interesting interaction at your club too um, in regards to Breakpoint, didn't you? Yeah. So every every Friday morning, I teach a, a group of uh, I just call it the tennis moms. Uh, just a bunch of you know neighborhood moms. I started teaching them maybe three months ago and uh it's actually like something as as a coach i know a lot of coaches prefer to not teach beginners it's tough but that's something that i that i love i I love to watch someone's progress from the beginning and just be like hey like i you know remember when remember when you couldn't hit a forehand in the court and now you're out playing in a league i i absolutely love that and so uh i've done that with several groups of uh usually you know moms some some adults i do a bunch of beginners clinics but anyways this is like a closed group friday morning and um one of them came in and said you know oh have you i I feel like a lot of my students have you seen breakpoint and uh i try to you know just temper i don't want to poo-poo it if they love it and uh i was kind of like yeah you know I, i saw an episode or two what what do you think and uh, this is a, a, a mom that just 
got into the group, this group I've been doing for a few months, she's come the last two mm. weeks and she said, well, I saw that and it made me want to learn tennis. It made me really excited mm. and I like, you know, I'm out here now. And that's something that I, I didn't expect, but I, I think it's to, a credit to having tennis content out there that's easily available and accessible to everyone. I, I think that's a, that's a great thing. She was, you know, talking about Ben Shelton. She was even talking about, oh, yeah, I saw his match. And then uh, what's funny is I, I another mom in that group mentioned like, oh, yeah, you know, I, I've been tuned into the show. And ever since that now we're up, you know, me and my husband are up late watching these matches. And uh, she's like, you know, I, uh, your friend didn't seem to like the show very much. And, and it was funny. I was like, how did you see that? I, I forget that, like, sometimes, like, people that I know in real life will see, you know, yeah. uh, our online content. And uh, I was like, no, you know, it, it's just, you know, one aspect of it. I think in, in general there's there's good aspects to the show. I mean, it, it's bringing more people into tennis, and it's kind of getting people to watch tennis. They even, you know, I mentioned, I said, hey, if, if you want to – you know, go to a live match, you know, start looking into Indian Wells, San Diego. Um, and they were like, oh, yeah, okay, we'll, we'll start looking into it. So I, I think that's yeah. a really, it's a cool thing. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's not all negatives about Breakpoint. We just happened to talk about, uh, make that segue from uh, from Sabalenka's match and, and the way that that first episode went. Um, but uh, no, I mean, that's great to hear. Um it's cool to hear that people are, are listening to some of our, uh, our content and our, yeah. our conversations. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't hate it. You know, as a tennis fan, I, I kind of just digest everything tennis. And I, I, you know, I think we talked about this. I understand that maybe we're not the target audience for Breakpoint, And I think it's great to hear that people are, um, picking that up and finding it entertaining and that's getting them into the sport. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't have anything else to say on it other than that. I think that's that's awesome. That's great, and and I think that's one of the things that that show is good for is showing those players' personalities. It's giving you a rooting interest in somebody and giving you a reason to tune in. And I think that's awesome. And um, you know, definitely have more conversations about Breakpoint. I haven't with the Australian Open going on. I haven't been able to go back and uh, watch more episodes yet. I've only gone through a couple of them. So um, we'll have to revisit the Breakpoint conversation. Maybe even bring somebody else on to kind of talk about that. Um, but uh, yeah, no, it, it's great to hear. It's great to hear, and I don't yeah. hate it. So <laughs> <laughs> let it let it be known. Yeah, um, yeah. And it, it was just interesting because she was like, "Yeah, it made me want to learn." And you know, internally, I was kind of like, "They don't really show a lot of the tennis." tennis. Yeah. Um, but whatever. If the narrative, you know, if the narrative pulls you in, then fantastic. And yeah. um, I'm happy. Like I said, I'm. I, I teach so many beginners, and that's been a, a very you know, on topic conversation for the majority of my classes the past few weeks of like, Oh, have you seen it? I love it. Blah, blah, blah. So I'm like, Oh, all right, cool. It's, it's good to hear. Yeah. Nice. Well, and I think, um, it's important for people who are just getting into tennis to not feel overwhelmed by the community that's already been there. Yeah. I think that's a restriction for something that holds people back. Um, who are interested in getting into tennis is feeling like it's a little overwhelming to play on a court with somebody that's been playing their whole life or has, you know, like you and I are very invested in the sport and talk about the sport Um, to be that kind of green, new, new to tennis person. It might feel a little overwhelming. So it's nice to have something that you both can talk about, you know, and and can relate to. Um, And that's important you know, for people to kind of feel welcome into the community of tennis. So, yeah, that, that's actually a great point. That's uh yeah. Cause sometimes I feel like, uh, man, am I, am I gatekeeping? I don't want to be right. that guy. I don't, you know, yeah. I don't want to poo poo anything. Um, 
But yeah, that's that's true. It brings up a, a nice neutral of like, hey, you know, what do you think of this? So any type of uh, tennis media, we're going to have, and I'm sure we'll get into it, with, uh, Zendaya movie coming yes, right. this yeah. year. Um, it's going to be interesting. But yeah, I, yeah. I, I agree. It's it's a good entry level of like, all right, let's 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 start here. And that way they get to know a couple players, you know, when they get to a tournament, it's like, all right, let, let me go see, you know, what Taylor Fritz is doing. Oh, he won. He won this tournament. Okay, cool. Yeah. Um, but yeah. And that's all we're trying to do here is foster an environment of tennis lovers. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. Yeah, I know sometimes we, we probably get in the in the weeds of stuff, but I think yeah. hopefully that's helped. Hopefully it's it's informative and not too, you know, not too obscure, or, um, you know, not too many deep cuts. But uh, yeah, I mean, and that's part of what I feel like is my job and responsibility as a, as a tennis coach is just... I, I want to introduce people to this game. I, it, when I do the Tennis 101 classes, I, I have a whole thing of say, hey, it, it's, it's going to be very difficult in the beginning. You need to learn topspin. You need to learn how to serve. It's not going to be the most exciting stuff in the beginning. But once, once you start to get this down, you'll start to be rewarded by being able to play this game. And that's one of the cool things about tennis is it, the, the difficulty and the path and uh, yeah, it only helps to be able to watch it on on TV. Um, so yeah, that's uh, that's something that and I, I also really think enjoy. It's also a rite of passage. I feel like as a tennis player to watch tennis on TV and immediately feel like you have to get on court to play. We all experience <laughs> that as tennis players yep. watching the Australian Open or watching any of the tournaments. Really, I can't watch tennis and not immediately feel like okay, now I have to go hit. So yep. it's a rite of passage and, uh, you know, happy to see that these, uh, th- these beginners that you're teaching feel that too. <laughs> yeah. 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 All right. Well, I think that wraps up today. Um, I ended up going a little bit longer than we expected, but, um, great matches to come. Uh, really excited for round four. Um, we're going to get this episode out there hopefully before the matches start today. Um, and yeah, Tony, thank you. And thank you listeners. Yeah. Thank you. All right. Uh, see you guys in a couple of days. All Enjoy right, yep, see you.